following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Turn to John 14. This morning, uh, we're going to look at a very familiar passage, uh, but one that we, we probably don't normally associate with Easter. Um, but, but we should. We should, and, and it's an important passage that really does a great job of, of kind of pulling together and explaining the significance of it all. And, um, and we ought to think of it as an Easter passage, in part at least, because uh, this passage takes place on the night of Jesus' betrayal. And uh, Jesus, when this passage takes place, He is in the upper room with His disciples. And Jesus just instituted the Lord's Supper. And he just sent Judas out to betray him. So this is all happening just hours before the crucifixion of Christ. And our text for today is chapter 14, verses 1-6, through 6, but, but really to appreciate well, all that's going on here, we, we need to back up and see it in context. So I'd like to begin reading in chapter 13, verse 33. So again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room. And he says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord... Where are you going? And Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'd like you to just try and imagine for a moment what the disciples were feeling throughout this entire interaction. And these guys, they have sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. They've spent three years at His side And they have been excited to follow Him and serve Him. But Jesus says to them, I'm going away and you can't come with Me. And they're thinking, how how can that be, Jesus? So, So Peter boldly replies, he says, Lord, I will follow you to the point of death. And you can imagine Peter saying that with all of Peter's normal gusto and all the other disciples are saying, yeah, us too, we will follow you to the death, Lord. And then Jesus replies to big, bold Peter, 
and says, Peter, you will not even make it through the night. Within a few hours, things are going to get so bad that you will deny that you even know who I am. And think about how devastating that prophecy had to be. Not just for Peter, but for the other ten guys sitting there. Imagine the, the flood of thoughts like, what in the world is about to happen? How, how could it be that bad? And, and so their, their minds are swirling, they're, they're worked up. So when Jesus follows in chapter 14, verse 1, by saying, do not let your heart be troubled, he is speaking to a very troubled room. And, and, he's, and, and he does so by explaining why he must go and what he will do by being gone. And so in this passage, he's explaining the purpose behind his death, his resurrection, his ascension to glory, and ultimately his second coming. Now, now I doubt that when Jesus originally spoke these words in John 14, that that the disciples immediately understood everything that's going on. Like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, so he's going to die, he's going to go to heaven and come back. I mean, they probably didn't get much of that at all. But in the years ahead... Once they understood what was really going to happen, I'm sure that these words, these comforting thoughts of Jesus, meant the world to them. And of course, this passage has continued to to encourage God's people ever since. And and so I'd like to, to build our study of this text around three questions that the disciples needed answered. And and so the first question that they needed answered is why must Jesus leave? Why must Jesus leave? Now, now again, this question, this is the one that's weighing very heavily on these guys. They love Jesus. They, they've got plans for Jesus. So, so why in the world would Jesus abandon them? Why, why would He skip town? And Jesus answers that He must go to prepare a place for them, specifically in heaven. And He emphasizes that heaven will be worth it all because heaven is going to be a wonderful place. And why is it wonderful? Well, heaven's going to be wonderful. Why? Because it is my Father's house. Now, very often, when we think of heaven, we get all excited about the food, the the lavish amenities, the golden streets, and all those other things. But it's always good to remember that the best part of heaven will be that God will be there. We will be in the Father's house. And Jesus adds that His Father's house includes many dwelling places. He says there in verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Now, if you were raised on the King James Bible, then you're probably used to it saying mansions there. In my Father's house are many mansions. And of course, there's a lot of songs and a lot of different imaginations and traditions that have grown up out of that translation. And, and I, it's a fun sentiment, and, and I don't think it's a bad one. All right? I'm not here to rag on you know, mansion in the sky and, and things like that. But, but it's not actually a very good translation of the word that is used here in John chapter 14. It's better translated as we have it here in the New American Standard as dwelling place or room. So, so what seems to be taking place here is that Jesus is probably picturing his father's house as something like many ancient homes uh, of that time. So, so what would sometimes happen is you've got your farm out in the, out in the country, and, and mom and dad have their home, and they've got five kids, and so you know, son number one gets married, starts having a family, and, 
And so he would just build a wing for his family on the side of mom and dad's house. And then son number two gets married and he'd build his wing and, and his family lives there. And then son number three gets married and, and, and builds his wing over there. And so, and so it would kind of grow up as this huge complex um, that was all essentially one home with many residences, many rooms. And, and they would live together in this large interconnected house. And that seems to be how Jesus is picturing His Father's house in heaven. When we get to heaven someday, we will all be family. And we will live in close fellowship with God and with each other. And and, and Jesus here especially emphasizes that His Father's house is large. What's He say? He says, in My Father's house are many dwelling places. So, So there will never be a no vacancy sign hanging at the gates of heaven where there is not room. No, no, Jesus says there are many rooms. There will always be plenty of room in heaven for everyone who believes in Christ. There, they will never run out of space. Of course, Revelation 5 says that someday heaven will be filled with a vast multitude from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. A, a, a massive amount of people will gather around the throne of God in that place. It's going to be a wonderful Wonderful place to be in heaven someday. So yes, Jesus' departure was going to be terribly difficult for the disciples. They were going to miss Him immensely and they were going to endure tremendous hardship in the years ahead after Jesus is gone. In fact, I mean, Jesus tells Peter in verse 37, He says, you cannot follow Me now. Uh, he says, Peter, or excuse me, verse 38 says, will you lay down your life for Me? Or excuse me, yeah, verse 36. Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. So Peter was going to give his life for Christ someday. So, so, so it was going to be very hard for these guys in the short term. But Jesus assures them that it will all be worth it in the end. That, that, that they will dwell in Jesus and the Father's presence for all of eternity. So heaven is a wonderful place. And and folks, this is our great hope as well. Christ rose from the dead, and therefore we know that everyone who is in Christ is someday going to rise from the dead. We will be glorified, and, and we will spend all of eternity in the Father's presence in glory. And so the resurrection, it transforms our hope. You know, because Jesus rose from the dead... There's a lot of troubles in this world. But we do not need to be troubled, ultimately, by by all the stuff. Because we know how the story ends. We're going to heaven. And maybe today you're, you're missing a loved one who is with Christ. And you don't need to be troubled about that loved one who is with Christ either. Because they are with the Father. We have hope in the Gospel. And folks, so because Jesus rose from the dead, we have this wonderful place awaiting us, and it is worth every temporary trouble that we endure. And it was certainly worth the temporary departure of Jesus. So heaven is a wonderful place, and then Jesus proceeds to explain that Jesus must leave to truly be with His disciples. He must leave to truly be with His disciples. So He says in verse 2, "...in my Father's house..." are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go 
to prepare a place for you. Now, now when we read through verses 2 and 3, we typically focus on the verb prepare, right? And so I remember as a kid, you know, thinking about Jesus up in heaven, you know, spending 2,000 years preparing me this incredible place. I mean, he's been working, to, you know, he created the earth in six days. He spent 2,000 years making my mansion. It must be pretty incredible. And that's, again, a fun sort of sentiment to have. But, but, but when you look at this passage in context, that the focus really is not so much on Jesus preparing, the focus is instead on him going. Maybe notice as we read through the entirety of the text that the verb go appears a lot of times. And so that's really where the focus is. And, um, and so the disciples, of course, didn't understand, they didn't comprehend what exactly it meant that Jesus was going away. You know, maybe they thought, well, well he's just going to kind of sneak away. You know, and he keeps talking about going. Like, is he going to, you know, is he going to go to Rome or is he going to, you know, go to Galilee or, you know, they they have no idea. Maybe maybe they did think that that his going away meant that he was going to be arrested. Maybe they had fears that he might even be killed. Of course, they didn't fully understand it. But but we know on this side of the cross that when Jesus talks here about his going away, that he is describing the entirety of his crucifixion, his, his resurrection, and his ascension. And, and so when Jesus says in verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you, the, the focus is not so much on him up there with a hammer and a chisel making mansions. No, no, the focus is, is that I am going to the cross. I'm rising again, and I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. And he is saying, that the only way that we can truly be together forever is if I obey the Father's will, I follow His plan, and I go to the cross. And, and, and of course, we know that this plan began with Jesus' death. You know, Jesus was just hours at this point from enduring unimaginable torment. He just told His disciples a few moments prior and instituting the Lord's Supper, that His body was going to be broken and His blood was going to be shed. Jesus endured the worst of human depravity and the worst of human cruelty. And infinitely worse than the cruelty of the Romans and the Jews was the fact that He bore in His body God's wrath against the sins of humanity. And so Jesus knew that the next 24 hours would be the worst that any man ever has or ever will endure as he faced the wrath of God against sin. So Jesus had to go to the cross. But that's not the only place he had to go because because today we celebrate the fact that he did not stay dead. He rose again on Sunday. And when Jesus rose again, he proved that he is the sovereign Lord and he once and for all conquered sin and death. Folks, that Sunday when Jesus rose again, it forever changed the course of human history. Jesus provided a glorious hope for all who are in Christ. And then the Gospels and the book of Acts tell us that 40 days later, Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand. And when He ascended to the Father's right hand, He sent His Holy Spirit to indwell His disciples. And every day since, Jesus has sat at the Father's right hand and Romans 8 says, that He is continually interceding for the saints. 
He is praying for us. He is pleading for us. He is working on our behalf. So, so the disciples here, they're devastated. They are devastated at the thought that Jesus is about to go away. They are devastated with fear over what the next few hours may hold. But Jesus assures them that the only way they could have a place in the Father's house was if He went. He had to pay for sin. He had to rise in victory. And He had to ascend to the Father's right hand. But of course, that's not the end of the story. Right? So so Jesus goes on and He assures them that that His ascension to heaven will not be the end. Now look at what He says in verse 3. He says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. So imagine the significance that that verse would have had for the disciples. Now, now again, in the moment, there's probably a lot that they don't understand. I mean, they are confused. They're trying to figure out what in the world is taking place. So, so I don't know that they fully got it at that moment. But you think for years down the road of what the, the significance that verse 3 would have for the disciples. That their master left, but he promised, I'm not leaving forever. I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you, and where I am, you will be also. Of course, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17 tell us a little more. They say that someday the Lord Himself, speaking of Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So someday the trumpet's going to sound. And in a moment, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, those 11 disciples and every other Christian will immediately be in the Lord's presence in the sky. It's going to be glorious. And and, and, and 1 Thessalonians 4 says, and so shall we always be with the Lord. He will never go away again. Similarly, Jesus encourages His terrified and confused friends, where I am going, or that, that where I am, there you may be also. So never again are they going to be separated from Jesus. They will be together with Christ for all of eternity. And of course, the same is true for everyone else who is in Christ. You know, and again, the best part of heaven is not going to be the gold or, or the, the amenities or the clothes or, or whatever else that we get excited about. The best part of heaven is going to be that Jesus is there. And where Jesus is, that's where I'm going to be. So I pray that verses 2 and 3 add some important perspective to our weekend. You know, because the Bible, the Bible tells a, a number of, of incredible stories of resurrection. Throughout the Scriptures, Elijah raised people from the dead. Elisha, Jesus raised several people from the dead. So so there's multiple times in Scripture where God raises people from the dead. But Jesus' resurrection is in a category all of its own. And why is that? Because when, when God raised the body of Jesus, He didn't just raise a body. He conquered sin and death. 
He, he destroyed their power. He, he took the sting out of, out of sin, as, as 1 Corinthians 15 says. He, he, he destroyed it. And He opened the door to an entirely new reality for everyone who is in Christ. So as we remember that Christ is risen, we can look forward to the day when He's going to come back. And we are going to be raptured in His presence. And Jesus says, we will forever be with the Lord. And we can rejoice today that the resurrection makes all of that possible. The resurrection is not just a, a cute little appendix on the end of the crucifixion. It is vital to God's saving purpose in Christ. So, so the disciples here, they, they want to know why Jesus had to leave. And uh, in verses 2 and 3, answer that Jesus had to go to prepare a place for them in heaven. If He did not go to the cross, rise and ascend to heaven, they could not be with Him forever in glory. And then Jesus raises a second important question in verses 4 through 6. And uh, let's go ahead and read those verses again. It says, And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the question here is, how can we join Jesus? How can we join Jesus? Now, now again, when we read through this passage, sometimes we look at the disciples and we're like, what a bunch of morons. Like, like, how did they not get this stuff? How could they be so dumb when they've heard this stuff time after time after time? But, but, but we have to remember that we have a major advantage over them because we are looking at all of this on this side of the cross. You know, they're up there in the upper room. None of this stuff has happened yet. You know, Jesus has given little you know, figments and, and pieces of the story that's coming, but, but they don't get all that. So all they know, Jesus has been talking about coming and going and and they have no idea where He's going and how He's going to get there and what that means for them. And so they're confused. And yet, Jesus answers in verse 4 with, with what probably was a bit of a frustrating statement. He says, and you know the way where I am going. Now, now have, you ever, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and, uh, and you have no idea what they're talking about? You know, but, but you want to appear smart and intelligent and you, wanna, and, and you don't really want to launch it. Maybe you just don't want to have a long conversation. And so you just stand there and nod your head like, yeah, of course, sure, yep, I got it, sure, that sounds good. Well, we, we do that oftentimes. And you know, sadly, many people do that with important spiritual truths. You ask them, do you know you're going to heaven? And how do you know you're going to go to heaven? And, and they'll say, sure, yeah, I know how to go to heaven. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. And, but when you begin to ask them for, for, for clear answers and, and get specific with the questions you ask, well, you know, you, you get something like, well, you know, I've always thought of myself as a Christian. I'm a spiritual person. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. And, and what will, will show me from the Bible how you know the way to heaven. And they're like, I don't. They've got nothing at that point. And folks, when your soul is at stake, it is not a good time 
to pretend like you understand. It is a time to make sure that you, you truly understand what's going on here. And thankfully, Thomas was not content to just nod his head and act like he understood. Now, now sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap. And, and last year, we looked at, um, uh, on Easter, we looked at uh, his, his story in the upper room, and, and uh, we had a good time looking at that. And you know, th- sometimes we think of Thomas as kind of a, a crank and you know, a, you know, a guy that had issues. But, but I'm really glad that Thomas asked the question that he does. He asks for clarification because it's better to ask for clarification on an important tooth than to pretend like you get it when you don't. And so I'm sure he spoke for all the disciples when he says in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how do we know the way? You know, it's, kind of, I mean, it's sort of fun and entertaining to think about, you know, potentially like, I mean, he's, just, he's at a loss. He has no idea what's going on. Jesus just told him he knows the way, and he says, I don't know the way. I'm confused. And he sets the table for one of the most important statements in the New Testament regarding the nature of Jesus, the nature of the gospel, and the exclusivity of Christ. Jesus answers, it says in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So first of all, Jesus answers again the question of where he is going. He says, He is going to the Father. And and of course, uh, the disciples should have understood that by now because he just said in verse 2 that he's going to his Father's house. But he states it once again. And and of course, the disciples should have understood that as a clear reference to heaven. So he tells them, he answers Thomas' second question and says he is going to heaven. But then second and most importantly, Jesus gives a definitive Bold answer regarding the way. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he adds, no one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus says, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Now, in context... Of those three descriptions, way, truth, and life, the first one is clearly the most important, right? Because he's been talking uh, all along here about a way, about going somewhere. So so the first one, the way, is clearly the most significant. But but let's not miss the significance of the other two. So, So Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. Now, Now, Jesus does not mean that he is the only one in the universe who is truthful. Or that, that, there is not the, that we don't have the ability to discover any truth at all outside of Him. No, He is saying that all truth is centered in Christ. The Bible says that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You, you cannot truly understand and put the universe together without God at the center. So, so God is the truth. And, 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 God, and God has revealed Himself. He has revealed His truth fundamentally in the person of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14, the very first chapter of this Gospel of John, verse 14 says, And the Word, or Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. So in the face of Christ, 
we see the glory of God like, like nowhere else. And then the verse ends that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And then verse 17 uh, adds, it says, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So, so God's preeminent revelation of Himself is Jesus. The, the way that we know God is through Him. So, so no other religion, no other prophet, no other revelation adds something further and more complete to our knowledge of God than the beyond what is found in the person of Jesus. God, Jesus is the preeminent truth. And let me add, there's no other possible journey to ultimate truth. You can't leave Jesus and go on a journey over here or go on a journey through this path or, or that path and, and, and hope to ever arrive at ultimate truth about God. You know, Jesus is the truth. You know, same Peter who, who would deny Jesus only a few hours after this took place said only a few weeks later in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So Jesus is the truth. The only truth that saves. And as a result, because Jesus is the truth, He is also the life. Now, Jesus here is speaking primarily about spiritual life, really uh, fundamentally about spiritual life. And the Bible, and this is significant because the Bible teaches that because of sin, we are all born spiritually dead. It doesn't mean that we're physically dead, but we are spiritually dead. And so because of that, we can't know God. We can't seek God. We can't please God because we are dead spiritually. And therefore, we cannot live with God for all of eternity in our natural state. We need life. But thankfully, Jesus proclaimed in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live, even if he dies. So Jesus is life. And He gives spiritual life that transcends even death. So, so death is not the end for the Christian. Instead, death is, is God's gracious gift to deliver us from the curse of this world into His glorious presence. And, and there is eternal life in Christ. And it's all because Jesus rose from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. And because He is the truth and the life, Jesus is the way. Meaning that, that He is the only way to the Father in heaven. And that's, that's the whole point in context, right? He's not just talking about ways and paths to all sorts of places. The, the focus here is how can I be in the Father's house someday? And Jesus says, I am the way. Now, similarly, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And Jesus says here, no one comes to the Father but through Me. So, so I, I think it's very important to be clear today that no one is going to accidentally stumble into heaven. 
And no one's just going to you know, set out and, oops, I got here. You know, and Jesus absolutely denies the idea that, that all roads lead to God. And if we think that, then, then we're saying that Jesus is a liar. We have to choose one or the other. No, Jesus is abundantly clear that, that He is the only way. The only way that any of us can live forever in heaven is if we come to the Father through Christ, who is the truth and the life. And therefore, Jesus told His disciples in the upper room, I must go to prepare a place for you. I must take in my body the punishment for sin. Because you can't do it. You can't take the punishment. I have to take it for you. And I must rise from the dead. Because if I don't defeat death, no one will. And I must go to the Father so that this Holy Spirit can come and so my message of salvation, my mission to the Gentiles can go to the ends of the earth. And in all of it, He provided the way for us to be right with God forever. Jesus is the way. So today, we're not celebrating a series of unfortunate events. You know, the cross is a whole lot more than a tragedy of self-sacrifice or a martyrdom of someone who, who stood for a great cause and ultimately gave his life simply in defense of a great cause. No. The cross is a product of the Father's sovereign will and of Christ's perfect obedience. And it was the only way that we could have a place in heaven. Jesus had to go. Because if He did not go, then no one could live forever with God in heaven. So that brings me to my final question today, which is, how should I respond? And Jesus answers for us in verse 1. And the first answer He gives about how we should respond, He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Now, of course, we have to understand that command uh, in light of its original context. So, he is fundamentally speaking to the disciples here who are very worried and very concerned, very scared about what's ahead. And he's saying to them, do not let your heart be troubled. But, but what follows after that encouragement is plenty of reason for us not to be troubled either. You know, the reality is, is that we all endure many sorrows, burdens, fears, we all suffer in various ways. But what a blessing it is to know. I, you know, I was reading on, on Friday that, that Jesus became a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus understands what it is to sorrow. And He felt incredible grief as He went to the cross. Grief beyond probably what we could ever imagine. And so, and then in light, and after that, he, he provided the ultimate answer to all of our sorrows, all of our grief, all of our fears, all of our doubts. He provided the answer for all of it in the cross. And because Jesus died and rose again, I'm going to heaven someday. And Revelation 21, verse 4 says that when we are there, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. So Christian, do not let your heart be troubled. 
Whatever it is that is weighing on your heart today, whatever fears, concerns, temptations are there, understand that all of it one day is going to give way to glory. And you will be in the Father's presence. And just as surely as as God brought Jesus through His suffering and death and brought Him to His own right hand, He's going to sustain you and carry you through whatever it is that He has for you in this life. And someday you will be with Jesus. And it will all be over. So do not let your heart be troubled. And then the second command He gives is believe in God, believe also in me. Now this command is very important in the context of the Gospel of John. Because John 20 verse 31 tells us that the purpose of the Gospel of John is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So, so do you want to go to the Father's house someday? Well, did you, do you want to spend eternity in His glory? Well, John 14 verse 6 says very clearly that not everyone is going to make it. Jesus is the only way. So do you know that you are going there? Do you know that your sins are covered and that you can look at the Bible and say, I know from God's Word that I will be in heaven with Christ. If you aren't sure, don't pretend like you get it. Don't nod your head when you don't really understand. No, like Thomas, ask the hard question. Ask specific questions. And listen to Jesus' answer. You can only come to the Father through Christ. And the way that you come to the Father through Christ is that you believe. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the Messiah whom God promised from the foundation of the world to save sinners. And He is the perfect Son of God. And you believe that your sin has offended God, that that you cannot get to God on your own. Instead, you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, He bore your sin in His body. He took the punishment for sin on Himself so that we could be saved. And then, you put your faith in what Jesus has accomplished. You trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. And if you do that, you can know that you will be in the Father's house someday. Because you are trusting in the only way to get there. You believe in God. You believe in Jesus. So please, believe on Jesus today. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe there's someone here today in fact, I'm, I'm certain there has to be at least one here today that could say with Thomas, I, I do not know the way. And I don't know how to get there. And I have questions about my soul. And, and so, if you would like me to pray for you or like someone from our church to seek you out to help answer those questions, maybe if you want to just pray and trust in the Lord even in the service. I'd love to pray for you. And so, if you could just raise your hand so that I can see you and Keep you in mind. Follow up. Is there anyone like that today? 
I see that. Thank you. All right, Lord, thank you so much for the gospel of Christ and thank you for the hope of eternity. And Lord, I pray that all of us would leave today knowing that we are in Christ, knowing that our sins are forgiven and looking forward to the day of eternity. Lord, I pray that our hearts would not be troubled, but that, Lord, we would keep a fresh, clear vision of eternity always before us and that we would live for the day that we see Christ. God, thank you. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross. Thank you that he rose again. Thank you that he sits at your right hand today. And thank you for the sure promise that he will come again and receive us to himself. What a glorious, glorious day that's going to be. In Christ's name, 